You are listening to Feast Radio, bringing God's love and grace on air. Listen to significant and heartfelt messages you can reflect on and pray about. May this message help prepare you to face challenges, follow your dreams, and open yourself up to God's unlimited blessings. Today, I receive all of God's love for me. Today, I open myself to the unbounded, limitless, overflowing abundance of God's universe. Today, I open myself to God's blessings, healing, and miracles. Today, I open myself to God's word so I become more like Jesus every day. Today, I proclaim that I'm God's beloved. I'm God's servant. I'm God's powerful champion. And because I am blessed, I am blessing the world in Jesus' name. Amen. Reverence the word. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Leviticus chapter 16, 1, 3, and 5. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron who died when they approached the Lord. This is how Aaron is to enter the most holy place. He must first bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Verse 5, from the Israelite communities to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Brother Bo, what are we reading about? I don't understand a thing of what we just read. I'm telling you, we're going to look at the symbols, but more importantly, we're going to look at the meaning behind the symbols because they're going to speak to our hearts. I want you to put your hands over your chest and say, Father, speak to me. You brought me to this place. This is a divine appointment. From the very beginning of time, you planned this. And so I am here, standing on holy ground. And I will receive your word that will change my life. And that will bless me in Jesus' name. Amen. Give the Lord a big hand, everybody. Love God today. Love God today. Today I want to preach the message, you can start over. There are people here, you've made some mistakes, and you are in a mess right now. Or at least one area of your life is in a mess. Or you did not make a mistake, but other people around you made some mistakes, and right now you are caught in a bind. And in your heart, you want to start over. And some of you, you're frustrated, and you want to give up. But we just sang a song that says that someone will not give up on us. And I want to preach this as loudly and as clearly and as confidently and as boldly as I can. You, if you're losing hope right now, or you just are tired, you're tired, and you do not know what to do, I'm giving you God's word. God is telling you, you can start over. 
everybody, inhale, inhale. What does that mean? You're alive. And while you are alive, you can start over. There is hope because God is our hope. I want you to tell. I, no, no, I don't want you to tell. I want you to preach to seven people around you. You can start over. 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 All of, how many of you want to start over a specific area in your life? Raise your hand. You want to start over. You want to start over. Wave at me. Wave at me. Wave at me. Wave at God. Wave at God and say, I want to start over. I want to start over. Amen. Amen. Now, I need to warn you, before you start over an external reality, God will first of all start over an internal reality. Do you understand what I'm saying? That, that, that you, you cannot change anything on the outside if you do not first change something on the inside. And what, what's going to happen? You see, your spiritual life is the foundation of any other area of your life. And that's what God will start over first. So if you're ready, we begin. We begin. Let's all be seated. Touch somebody beside you. Tell that person, you can start over. <laughs> Let's give a big hand to our worship team. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. So good. Two weeks ago, I, my, my brand new phone died. Yeah, brand new. Um, fully charged. When I press the on button, they want to work. And at that time, I was in a Holy Land pilgrimage. Miss you guys. Miss you, miss you, miss you. So I, I, was, I was leading that Holy Land pilgrimage um, in, um, obviously, in the Holy Land. And, and I, I said, okay, I was imagining, imagining, okay, my, my phone died. Um, doesn't want to start. Um, so when I come back here, I'm going to go to a repair shop, have it fixed. You know, hopefully it will still be fixed or, unless they say it's, dead and I have to replace it. So that was my imagination. And then my son called up um, using my wife's phone and I told him about my tech problem. And then the first question he asked was, Dad, by, by, by the way, can you pretend you're making a phone call right now? Everybody, one, two, three, go. Pretend you're making a phone call. Thank you, thank you, thank you. If you did this, you're old. Because you just go to a young person and look at how a young person pretends he's holding a phone. Yeah, right. So, so, so I was talking with my son. And, and my son asked me, did you reset your phone? Boom. Why didn't I think of that? I'm supposed to be an intelligent guy. Somewhat, right? I'm like, why? You know why? Immediately, I felt, I felt our 33-year gap. <laughs> because, because old people, we don't think... Well, I think that's me, right? <laughs> but, and so I, I googled how to reset a phone. Three steps in 20 seconds. My, my, my problem was solved. Now, I'm going to ask you this question. Wouldn't it be wonderful if life 
had a reset button. I just talked to two people that had two different problems and they wanted the same thing. They wanted to start over. The first one was a woman who had a heartbreak. And she said, Brother Bo, when my ex was courting me, I saw all the red flags you would, you would write in your books. But I did not want to see them because I was in love with love. Can you say that? I was in love with love. Very wise words, right? If, 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 if you see anybody who is in love with love, you, you tell that person, Mag-ingat ka. Yeah. T tell that person beside you. Baka, baka that person is in love with love. Yung katabi mo. You know, you t tell that person, Mag-ingat. 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 You know, and, and, and so, this, this, this woman was telling me that it was a toxic relationship. It was eating her up. And it was killing her day by day until finally, um, she said, Natanggal yung helmet ko. And uh, she woke up. And so she broke up with a, with a, with a, with a, with a guy. And um, she said these words, Brother Bo, I am swimming in an ocean of pain. But I'm not going back to him. I want to start over. The second person I talked to, totally different problem. She said, she's in debt, started very small, and then it ballooned to 800,000 pesos. And here was the problem. Brother Bo, my husband does not know about it. Oh my gosh. So, so I told her, okay, this is what you have to do. You have to talk to your husband and, and he's, he's, he's going to kill me. No, he's not. He's going to get very angry, but you have to, you need help. You need to tell him. And so I was tell, telling her that. And then she said this, Brother Bo, I wish I could turn the hands of time, go back to the day before I borrowed money, if only I could do that. What was she asking for if she could start over? My dear friends, God is a God who wants to help you start over. Not, not yet in the external realities, as I said, but first of all in the spiritual reality because this is what God wants you to do. And my dear friends, what we just read, what we just read was something that happened in the book of Leviticus. And this was the reset button in Leviticus. It is called, everybody say, I'm listening. I'm listening. The Day of Atonement. Everybody say that. Day of Atonement. Day of atonement. Louder. Day of atonement. Wonderful. The Day of Atonement was God's reset button. For the past two weeks, we were talking about an incident with Nadab and Abihu, where they polluted God's house. And what happened was that God had to do something. And listen to me, it was the worst impurity because there were two dead bodies in God's house. Now, last week, we were telling you, we made it graphic. Imagine that a neighbor, a drunk neighbor, entered your house with muddy shoes and his untrained dog poops in your carpet and every square inch of your house fills up with revolting stench. What do you do? 
You do a general cleaning, a day of general cleaning. This is what God did. He had to do a day of atonement. This was God's general cleaning day for his house and for Israel. Now, when I say that, when I say that, before, before, I, before I go on, one of the things we, we, before I read and unpack the Day of Atonement to you, we shared a few talks ago that if you read the Bible, you have to look for two words, design patterns that have been weaved into Scripture. If you want to understand, you know, I, I would read books by atheists, very popular atheists, and they would, they would basically lambast the Bible and say, how could there be, you know, these this stories that, about God being angry and, and God, you know, and, and I, I'm just reading these books and I say, hello, this is ancient literature. You don't read it on surface level. They're, they're very deep symbols about this, you know, and, and so that's what we're trying to teach you now. Everybody say those words again, design patterns. Now, one of the design patterns of the Bible is something very subtle. Where a person goes could actually be a design pattern and could symbolize something. For example, ask me, example, Brother Bo. Example, Brother Bo. Anywhere, you know, in the Bible, when a person departs from God, he is moving in the story. It says he's going east. Everybody say east. So it starts with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, when, 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 they, when they fell, let's read. Let's read. Okay. Genesis chapter 3, 23 to 24. Everybody say, I'm ready. Okay, let's read together. So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden. And it, by the way, by the way, before I go on, Brother Bo, kumain lang sila ng mansanas, nagalit na si Lord. Hello! This is symbolic. And basically what they were doing, Adam and Eve, was they want to, to be God. That's it. And so here, continue. And he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. Verse 24, together. After sending them out, the Lord God stationed mighty cherubim to the what? east of the garden of eden and he placed a flaming sword that flashed back from forth to guard the way to the tree of life okay number one the next time east appears is when cain the son of adam and eve killed his brother abel now let's read continue genesis chapter 4 so cain left the Lord's presence and settled in the land of Nod, where? East. East of Eden. Do you see a pattern? Okay. And then I'll give you another example. Generations later, there was the Tower of Babel. And it was not again just building a tower. It was all symbolic. Again, it's about revolting against God and wanting to be God. Let's read. Where did they build the Tower of Babel? Surprise, surprise. Genesis chapter 11. As the people migrated to the 
east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia and settled there. I'll give you a last example. Have you heard the story of Sodom and Gomorrah? Kind of like had this recollection of these places called Sodom and Gomorrah, and they don't, they're not really that good. You bet. They, there's two cities that are very wicked, very evil, and Lot, he left Abraham and was going to live in Sodom and Gomorrah, and guess where he went? Verse, chapter 13, verse 11, to the east. So east was a symbol of exile. East was a symbol of people who, you don't want God anymore, you want to be God, you go out through the east. Am I making sense to you? Now, here is the thing. All of this, before I talk about the Day of Atonement, do you know that the Temple of Jerusalem, which was patterned after the tabernacle, in Mount Sinai and in their journey through the desert, the gate, guess where the gate was? The door of the temple, the tabernacle, where was it facing? East. Ask me why. Because God is there at the door waiting for his people to come back. Everybody say, ah. And so, when I talk about the Day of Atonement now, East will be very prominent. Why? Because that's the symbol. And when you think about rituals, everybody say rituals. How many of you like rituals? One, thank you for being very honest. I also don't like rituals. You know, as a modern person, I like spontaneity. But you know what? I have grown so much in my appreciation for rituals. And I'll give you a hack. Can I? Rituals are prayers in the form of drama. Do you like drama? Mm-hmm. Rituals are longings of the heart that are expressed through theater. Movements and gestures, symbolic, they're powerful. And so in the Day of Atonement, this is how it's done, okay? Aaron, the high priest, he enters through the east door. The east door, just by the walking through the east door of the, of, of the tabernacle, what was that? It was a symbol. It was like Israel, and he was a representative of, of the people of Israel. Israel was returning from being banished, returning from exile. They are going through the cherubim and the flaming sword, you know, entering back into Eden. Bam! You don't look excited. But, but that's the ritual. It starts with the high priest going through the east door. I'm coming back, Lord. I'm coming home. Yeah, I'm coming home. God is welcoming me. And then he goes 
to the very place where Adam and Eve sinned against God. He goes to, the, to ground zero where also Nadab and Abihu made that scandalous, blasphemous sin, you know, and polluting. He, he goes to that very place and then he gets the blood of, the, of, of, of a bull and, and he, blood for them is cleansing. For us, it's dirty, right? But it's cleansing for ancient people. He cleanses. And then what he does is he goes eastward again and he retraces the steps of exile, of departing from the Lord. He is retracing those steps. But the entire time, he's sprinkling blood. Sprinkling blood. Why? I'll, I'll give you a refresher course. For them, blood equals life. And so what he's doing is every step he takes and he's sprinkling blood, he is saying God's life is defeating death. God's life is defeating death. God's life is defeating death. Rituals are incredible. And if you understand rituals in this way, you're, 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 you're going to look at the mass in a totally different way. You're going to look at it as theater. You're going to look at it as prayers in the form of drama. And you're, they're just so deep because they're all prayers, but, but they're prayers that are done in very beautiful symbols. Now, after that, there's gonna be a, another, another very unique part of the ritual, which I'll not preach about. Um, Audie will preach about that. And, and I, before I leave the stage, I just want you, I want you to understand that this is the God we worship. The God who puts the door of his heart facing the east. Because he says, you can start over. Yeah. Amen. The main man, Brother Roddy. One more time, can you tell your neighbor, you can start over again. We continue with our study. Turn your attention to the screen. If you've got your physical Bible, you can read this with me. We are on chapter 16, verse 7, and it, it says, Then he, pertaining to Aaron, is to take the two goats, everybody say two goats, and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. This is to finalize the, the offering, the final offering of the atonement. And then in verse 8, it says, He is to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord, and the other for the scapegoat. And then verse 9, Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by lot as a scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. Now, if you've got your digital or physical Bible, especially if you're home, you're like taking notes, I want you to highlight that phrase that says, Aaron shall. Can everybody say that? Aaron shall. This phrase alone is repeated at least more than 20 times in this, in this chapter alone. So there is emphasis by the author to his readers saying that Aaron shall or he shall. What the author is trying to say is that it's Aaron himself who will do this and nobody else. He has no help, 
no assistant, nobody there with him. And what's interesting is that when you study the, the events that take place on the Day of Atonement, did you know that the days leading up to that day, in the tabernacle, it was always a, v- a very busy place. You know, there were priests and Levites and people making their offering. But on the Day of Atonement, check this out, it would be empty except for one man doing all the work. Now, I'm trying to highlight, highlight that for somebody here today because this is an amazing preview of the perfect work of atonement that would be done by Jesus on the cross one day? I mean, think about it. There would be disciples together with Jesus, right? He would have his followers, yes? But isn't it true that it would only be Jesus by himself who would do the actual work of salvation on that cross? One man and one man alone, Jesus by himself would stand in front of death for you and me. I mean, I I think that deserves a little credit, don't you think? Can we all just clap our hands for seven seconds and praise Jesus for standing on your behalf so that you can receive salvation? The work of one man to save all of mankind. But you know what? The Bible says this, that there were two goats. Everybody say again, two goats. There were two goats. And according to Bible scholars, those two goats, though similar and, 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 and uh, although different in nature, they needed to be the same in terms of size, value, and color. Now, the first goat was intended for this. This is so amazing when I was studying this. The first goat was meant to be uh, a sin offering. It was a, an offering so that God would forgive the sins of man. So the priest, you know what he would do? He would kill that goat, slice it up, and then he would sprinkle sprinkle the blood all over the tabernacle, which kind of makes you think, I mean, how bloody was, must have that place been? I mean, that, that place might have been so filled with blood. But here's the second thing. The second goat is a little bit different. It's a little bit interesting because the second goat is what you call the scapegoat. Everybody say scapegoat. You ever heard of that term before, scapegoat? And this is different because what the priest would do is that instead of killing the second goat, he would actually place both hands on the goat and then confess all the sins of the entire community onto that goat. And you know what he would do? He wouldn't kill that goat. Instead, he would open the door, send out the goat into the wilderness, heading eastward. There's that term again, eastward. Never to return again. So if you think about that, the second goat is the scapegoat in the sense that it escapes death and it gets to start over again. Now, when I was reading this, I'm like, O-M-G. The first goat is Jesus in the sense that Jesus was the lamb that was slain to take away the sins of the world. Now, remember that scene in, the, in, in that brutal movie called The Passion of the Christ? How many of you watched that movie? That was one of the most violent films that we've ever watched. You remember that scene in the scourging at the pillar where they were tearing up the flesh of Jesus? I wonder if that was the interpretation of the director signifying that this is the first goat where the goat would be sprinkled and blood would be all over the place in that, in that altar. And then if you think about it, the second goat is actually a representation of you and me. Why? Because you're the goat that was saved. The goat that could start 
over again simply because the first goat was sacrificed. You were led into the wilderness. What is that called? That's called a restart. Everybody say restart. You get to start over again. How many of you want a restart in your life? Come on, raise your hand up high. You need a restart? You know, they used to say that God is the God of second chances. Have you ever heard that term? God is the God of second chances. But you know what I believe? I believe that God is not very good at counting. Why do I say that? It's because in my life alone, God did not just give me a second chance. He gave me a third chance, a fourth chance, a fifth chance, a sixth chance. So I believe that God is not a God of second chances. He's a God of many chances. Amen. God is a God of many chances and He'll continue to give you a chance. You want to know why? Ask me why. Why? It's because with every chance that God will give to you, it's a chance for you to change and to become a better person. It's a chance for you to change and I want you to believe that today, that you have the power to change. Can you tell the person beside you, you have the power to do it? You can. You have the power to choose to change. You can quit smoking today if you wanted to. You could quit cheating if you wanted to. You could quit lying if you wanted to. The choice is yours. And God will continue to give you that choice again and again. But make no mistake, my friend. A time will come, but you will run out of chances. That happened to the Pharaoh. Remember in our study of Exodus? God gave the Pharaoh so many chances to return back, to repent. But what did he do? He refused to go to the Lord. And the Bible says that his heart was hardened. So I want you to think about that for a moment. You know, a time will come when your heart will harden as well. So make no mistake, but God will continue to give you your chance to change. That's the gospel for today. You can repent. You can change your ways. That's why when you study the Day of Atonement, you know what they call the Day of Atonement for the, for the Jews? They called it the Sabbath of Sabbaths. That was their main event. They looked forward to that event once a year. They would look forward to that event. Why? Because they believed in the Sabbath of Sabbaths. That even if their external situation hadn't changed, they already believed that they were already dwelling in the Garden of Eden. They already believed that God had saved them. I wonder if you and I can behave that way. That when you come before Jesus and when you receive Him in your life, I want you to behave like that. You know that you can trust that God is already making a way for you to have your restart. You can start over again. You can have a better chance. Can we clap our hands for better opportunities to start over again? Can I invite everybody to stand as I close? You know, the Day of Atonement was just once a year. It, opened, it only happened annually. And my question is, was it enough that it happened just once a year? Is it enough if you guys just get to go to church once a week? Is it enough that you get to go to church only on your birthday? Or only on Holy Week? Is it enough that you go to church only on Christmas? So it's not enough that they would do this day of atonement once a year because we know that we got to come to the Lord again and again and again. Just like, you know, if you bandage your wound, 
and not tend to the wound, what happens? Sometimes you see that there's still an infection underneath that band-aid. It's just a bandage solution, a band-aid solution. That's why sometimes you realize the reason why that God will cut off something in your life, it's not to harm you, but it's to cut away the spread of the infection. So praise God for the things that He's cutting in your life. God wants to cut the infection. And I believe that that's what He did. He had a permanent solution to cut away the spread of the infection and the solution. It's not a thing. It's a person. His name is Jesus. When Jesus came, Leviticus was very particular in saying that the two goats, although different in nature, different in terms of, of, of how they would look like, but it was just considered one offering. And when you go through the Gospels, when you read all through the Gospels, the Gospel is very careful in saying that actually, I said this earlier, that the two goats is really Jesus. The first goat is Jesus in the sense that He was slain for the sins of humanity. That's the first goat. But the second goat is also Jesus because Jesus is the scapegoat when they led Him outside to be slaughtered. They led Him. It says in Hebrews chapter 13, Jesus suffered and died outside the city gate. So the author was making this assumption that the readers could find that connection that Jesus is the, is the second goat. He's a scapegoat. He's that spiritual garbage truck that takes away the sins of man. So it means that when you come to Jesus, He's taking away your sins from you. And that's really what it is. Jesus is the scapegoat. Jesus would let all our sins die with Him. And if you're not convinced, listen to this in Hebrews again. It says, With His own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, He entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. Everybody say forever. forever. Say it forever. 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 Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. Thank you, Jesus. But you know, Brother Odi, how can I start over again? restart. I'm a senior. I'm in my exit season. How many of you can relate to that? I've had my habits already in place. Or I've been working for that same company for 35 years. It's hard to start over. But I want to share with you in closing a story that I borrowed from my very, very good friend, George Gabriel. Can you remember Brother George? Yeah. Not too long ago, Brother George was leading us here in worship and preaching the word of the Lord. And, you know, I actually called George the other day to ask permission. And you know what he said? You know, I noticed that you always use my name in your talk. So I think I, it, it, it's only right that I should, charge, char, I should start charging royalties every time you mention my name. So I want you to take note that a portion of your offering today will go to the George Gabriel Foundation. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Brother George you know, Brother George, um, it's interesting because, you know, when you're, when you're at a certain age, at the age of 40, some of us think that 40 is the halfway point of life. 
in the sense that, you know, the average age of a Filipino is 71 years old. At the age of, of 40, that's more or less, you know, you're over the halfway point of your life. At the age of 40, some of us are already plant, planted roots. And, and, and you know, we, we've, we've gotten our systems down. But the age of 40, you know what George did? God called him to a different place to migrate to Australia. So George uprooted his family, Dinah and Anton. They only had one kid back then. And when you ask the question, was it hard? Absolutely. Was it difficult? <laughs> you bet. I mean, imagine uprooting your life and, and leaving your family behind and everything that, 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 that you were used to. But after four months into that migration, I called up George and we got to talk and then I asked him, so how are things? You know, do you have work already? And you know, for some reason, George couldn't find a job. It was hard for him to look for a job, but there was this distinct feeling, and I still remember it today, that when I was talking to George, I was the one panicking for him. I was the one stressed out. I was the one anxious. Aren't you scared that you don't have work? It's been four months, and you know, you're, you guys are alone there. But for some reason, there was this, this deep sense of calm in George that I could not understand until a few weeks later, George finally landed a job. You know the job that he landed? I'll tell you the background of George first. You see, George, before he left for Australia, he was, in, he was working for the light of Jesus under Shepherd's Voice, SVRTV. He was the creative director for the entire LOJ. That's, that's the kind of work that he did. He was the, the worship director. He directed all the big events, Kerygma Conference. That was under George until he left. George was working in a ministry. You know the work that he landed after a few weeks? Somebody hired him to become a ministry consultant for small, for small gatherings in Australia. And you know what I realized? What I realized is that the reason why it wasn't scary for George was because it, he wasn't starting from scratch. He was actually starting from experience. He wasn't starting from nothing. He was starting from something. So what is my point? My point is this. You're not starting from nothing. When you start over again, I want you to look at the cross right now. The cross is the finished work of Jesus. The world likes to say, finish what you started. Finish what you began. But today, Jesus says to you, continue the work that I already finished. It is finished. The finished work of Jesus is our starting point. His finish line is your starting point. So guess what? You're not starting from defeat. You're starting from victory. You're coming from the finished work of Jesus. Yes, Lord. So you can start again with Jesus. Come before the Lord and ask Him, Jesus, cleanse me forgive me in fact can you put your hands over your chest right now and say that with me Jesus forgive me cleanse me renew me make me brand new all over again I'm ready 
I'm ready for a restart. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Subscribe to Feast Radio and open yourself to God's grace. For more podcasts like these, visit feast.ph slash radio.